Hello, ladies and gentlemen, it's your old pal, Justin Robert Young. I want to remind you that if you would like to continue to support independent political analysis from me, well, you can easily do it. Head on over to TakePoliticsSeriously.com. Again, TakePoliticsSeriously.com. We have a record number of $3 Club subscribers. They're getting an extra podcast on Monday. They're getting an extra podcast on Friday. In our fast-moving political campaign season, these are very important, and it's the reason why I'm recording this on the road. I got my, my, my mobile rig with me. I'm uh, recording stuff in Brian Brushwood studio right now. I'll be recording on the road in Atlanta on Friday because you guys pay me to do it. And I love you for it. Head on over. TakePoliticsSeriously.com. Literally, I, I am I am editing this to, to, to go out, but we need to at least recognize it, and I need to qualify it for you guys because I'm going to mention this person as we go forward. But indeed, the news has arrived. I'm sorry. Her too. Kirsten Gillibrand is no longer running for president. The campaign undertaker has taken, taken yet another soul out of this race. Kirsten Gillibrand, your hopes of being president will rest in peace. We will talk a lot more about this on the PX3 Extra on Friday, but I did just want to have it be mentioned here. This is breaking literally as I'm about to post this. Kirsten Gillibrand is out, so if I refer to her being in the race, just know that this was a tag. All right, that's going to wrap it up for this part. Just go enjoy the show. Oh, welcome friends, welcome friends. This is the Politics, Politics, Politics Show. My name is Justin Robert Young. We got a lot to talk about. Well, actually, we kind of don't. <laughs> There's not a lot going on. I mean, we, we've got, like, here's how you know that there's not a lot to talk about. There's not a lot to talk about because we spent 24 hours talking about whether or not Trump wants to nuke a hurricane. All right, let, let, go ahead and let that sink in. Everybody, please understand that this is the definition of a slow news period. Now, hopefully we are not far away from it being a bigger news period because once Labor Day is over, everyone gets back from vacation and they can start doing things that make news. But before we, we go, we're, we're going to sit down with Brian Brush and talk about the, 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 the debate criteria. We are within hours of the debates being formally locked down, at least the Houston debate being formally locked down. And at this point, while I'm recording this, we have 
10 candidates. Tom Steyer needs one poll to be released before the, the, the final seconds tick off the clock today. He would push it to 11. That would make sure that there were two nights of debates like there have been for the first two. The only difference is that this time there's a little bit of a complication. We'll talk to Brian about it and whether or not it's fair, whether or not the DNC rules are fair. We also got Brexit talk. That's pretty much it. (laughs) Uh, A few here. Here's where we'll start. Joe Biden. There was a uh, shocking poll, shocking poll from Monmouth that came out. Actually gave Marianne Williamson her first qualifying poll. (laughs) So she's still in the running for for the, the next debate. But this was the big headline. Three-way dance at the top. Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders, uh, although within the margin of error, were ahead of Joe Biden. Joe Biden, for the first time, there was a poll that made him look vulnerable, that there was a real, real race happening. Because at this point, and it's early, right, but he was running about 10 points ahead, and he still is. In fact, he did after that Monmouth poll was released. There was two more polls that came out that showed him doing exactly what he's been doing, which is running about 10 to 15 points ahead of everybody. So what do you do? And again, oh my God, I'm not, I swear to God, I'm not going to do this in the entire show. I'm not going to just complain about how there's no news, but I'm just saying, I'm not saying, I'm just saying, this is why there is no news because this is what we're talking about. An outlier poll. An outlier poll got 24 hours worth of runtime and it got so heated that the, the the pollster who ran it at Monmouth had to come out and criticize his own poll and call it an outlier. I mean, come on, man. What are we doing? What are we? It's a poll. It's not supposed to be a crystal ball. I I don't doubt that there is, you know, a a poll you can run that shows this is a tighter race than it's been. This is so weird. It is just so weird where polling exists in our, in our, in our brain, you know, like, like that we, in fact, here, I want you guys to email me. TheYoungAmerican at gmail.com. TheYoungAmerican at gmail.com. Don't think about it. Literally just pour out whatever your gut instinct is. What is a poll? What is it? What is it supposed to be? Because for me, a poll is a snapshot of a moment. And it might be a little blurry. It might be a little off. Might not be focused totally. But it just gives you a general idea. You shouldn't really take it too seriously. Now, obviously, if you put a bunch of pictures of the exact same thing together, then maybe you can tell what is a smudge and what's actually a picnic table. You can do that with a little bit more assurity. Is that a word? But it's not something that you need to take as the word of God. Like, I don't know why Monmouth apologized. Or uh, let me put it this way. I don't think that they would have apologized if we don't have this very ravenous media culture right now around politics. And more specifically, if they did apologize, nobody would care. Why do we care that Monmouth put out a poll that was an outlier? 
I don't think we should. All right. Let's go ahead and get to our conversation with Brian Brushwood. Politics. Well, I'm using his studio, so I'm going to use him as a pundit. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, Brian Brushwood, welcome to the Politics Podcast. I mean, thank politics goodness. I, I, you know, it wasn't stated in our written agreement, but uh, yeah, no, I come along with the studio. Yes. I want to have a, a broader conversation with you because I think this is going to be a larger topic as uh, the, the, the field winnows on the Democratic side. But the DNC has had very rigid uh, qualifiers for who's going to get on the debate stage. They knew they were going to have a lot of people that were trying to run for president. They knew that the debates in this media empire were going to be huge uh, uh, signs that you are running a healthy campaign. It's going to be very hard to run a viable campaign if you're not on the debate stage. So they had a few stringent rules that they put in. And I know that you are somebody who very much values chaos. The, well, yes. <laughs> yes, and. Uh, uh, you know, we, we've talked, I think one of the last times that uh, listeners might have heard you was when we brought you on for the Perot episode, and we talked a lot about debates, right? And, and debates matter. Debates are a way that people see these candidates, uh, and so access becomes a very interesting and important thing that I think a lot of people who don't really pay attention kind of gloss over. So I'm just going to run these by you, and I want you to tell me whether or not you think they are fair. Sure. The the most plain one was you have to have four qualifying polls in which you are uh, uh, over 2% of respondents have said that they would like to vote for you for president. Fair that or unfair? Seems pretty fair. And yes. Keep in mind, uh, I, I might have a totally different set of opinions if this was a government run thing or whatever. I would if, if it was a government run thing, I would say like, no, no, no. If literally one person votes for you, you belong on that ballot. You yeah. Know, everybody has a chance. And sure. So on. But but knowing that this is the Democratic Party, this is their own clubhouse. Two percent seems to be a fairly kind and generous uh, entry level uh, interest. Like if if you can't get two percent of the world to pay attention, maybe you don't have a message that should eventually become <laughs> the leading voice of the free world. Now, let me give you a little wrinkle. What if I told you that qualifying is a very important word because it's only from a preset group of pollsters that the DNC has chosen from. And I would say it's rough, uh, roughly half of those that like 538 and Real Clear Politics all list as accurate, at least accurate enough to make up the mosaic of the poll. So they are picking winners and losers in terms of the polls that they are allowed, that they have to qualify in those certain organizations. I would say... That if we lived in a timeline without Bernie Sanders, a candidate who is not in, as I recently learned, the Democratic <laughs> Party, no, uh, but has repeatedly been one of the most interesting candidates for the Democratic Party's nomination, uh, then I might have a beef with it. But but in a world where he's not even in the Democratic Party, I. I feels like everything is pretty above board so far. Well, Bernie is. Bernie's qualified very easily uh, under these things. Uh, uh, the people that are complaining are the the marginal candidates, the folks who are obviously on the bubble that now it's like, well, if we miss a debate, 
this thing's over. Like, like we're, we're, we're done. You can't miss a debate and, and actually pretend to be a viable candidate anymore. So uh, uh, those are the people that are complaining. And some of them, like Tulsi Gabbard, are saying, hey, look, I've hit 2% in all these other polls. They're just not of your pre-selected variety. And indeed, she's right. She has far more than four, qualifier, four polls in which she has uh, charted over 2%. So has Tom Steyer. But so you say that kind of thing yeah. when what you really want to, you know, much like when I go to TwitchCon, I walk up to a booth and I say, what are you really selling? You're not really selling just, you know, goo to put on your hands. What you're really yeah. selling is a uh, high performance gel to enhance vis your chances of victory or whatever. So likewise, when somebody says, hey, man, I've got these 2% polls on all these other things, uh, what you're really saying is, hey, guys, if you really, if you're, uh, a fan, a fan, uh, if you're a supporter, yeah. now's the time to do something very loud to get us over this threshold. If you don't do it, then I'm out of the race. And at that point, everybody at home hears exactly what is being said, and then they either do or do not engage. And and it looks like, you know, my guess is they, you know, offer tepid thoughts and prayers. And uh, <laughs> then somebody's not so much in there, which is a fairly accurate indicator of how much support they actually had. So you're saying, look, if everybody's playing on the same field, like, yes, you got a bad break and you didn't, your support did not recognize in the right places, even though it recognized other right. ways. It, it's unfortunate. Everyone, everyone's playing with the same equipment. So like, Stop complaining. Right. You, 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 you just fell short. I'm, I'm, I'm not even going to say stop complaining because I think you you're should saying, complain. You're saying I think shut complaining up. is part you're of it. You're saying shut no, up. That's stop not what it. God, what are you doing? What are you doing? <laughs> you're doing the thing that you do. Uh, all right. Here's the more controversial one. They wanted to show, have a metric, the DNC did, that showed grassroots support. Bernie Sanders did a very good job of, uh, uh, you know, he, he had part of his stump speech in 2016 was that the average donation to his campaign was like $3.50 or something as a way of showing that he was getting a little bit of money from a lot of people as opposed to a lot of money from a few, you know, the millionaires and billionaires and all that. So the DNC said that for this round of debates, uh, three and four, there needs to be 130000 individual donations for each candidate. Okay. This sounds to me like quite possibly the least democratic idea I've ever heard. <laughs> when I think of the Democrats, I think of people yeah. who believe that everybody should have a voice, whether they're wealthy or not, yep. whether they have money or not. Yep. I think of people who want... Well, this is... Proving that because they're not just going to a few millionaires. They're not just flashing their bank account and saying, oh, look, we have so many millions in the bank. They're proving that these are individual donors. Okay. Imagine today that Bill Gates announces. This is a, a Fox News alert. Bill, Bill Gates just announced he wants to give 100% of all of his money to America and make America great. Uh, if only he'll be president. Uh, he would not qualify, and the reason he would not qualify to enter the debate is because not enough people have given money 
Is that what it is? Is 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 that how we measure? Oh, I'm sorry, Democratic Party. Uh, I, I, I thought we were the uh, you guys, whoever. I don't know. I, yeah. I thought Cover that money shouldn't be in politics, but you're saying quite literally, you don't even get to take the stage unless you're able to generate generate them dollars, them yeah. dead presidents. Now, not a number, donors. So you, you don't have to have X amount of money in the Whatever. bank. I guess, I guess, I guess theoretically, right. you you need at least one hundred and thirty thousand in the bank because you have to give at least one dollar. Let's say one hundred and fifty million U.S. citizens said, "I swear, I will vote for Bill Gates," and then he shows up at the debates like half the country already in my pocket. I would like to have this. I would like to join your discussion. The thing they say is, how many of them gave you money? Hi, it's us, the Democratic Party. Yeah. We care about money. How many of them gave you money? By the way, also, we need to strike down Citizens United because money shouldn't be in politics. Also, you won't get on the stage unless you can prove to us that you made money. Here's the funniest part about it. Let's go back to the fallout of the 2016 election. How do you imagine Democrats feel about Facebook in relation to politics? I personally yeah. have heard a lot of whinging, a lot of mental gymnastics. Well, anger. That, that, that's, that's really what I, I want to I hit on. I, I, like that they are angry. At Facebook, that that Facebook. That's the funny part is they're not angry at Facebook. In my, in my experience, okay. In my experience, they're all they're angry at Russia or dumb people or whatever. But 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 I'm not seeing literally even one proposal to do anything about it. Well, I mean that's government, but uh, uh, yeah. All right, so let's let's lead on that. The funny thing about trying to hustle up 130,000 individual donations. Is that because money needs to be out of politics? Well, how do you do it? So let's say you were trying to do it. You needed to get to one hundred thirty thousand individual donations. You you leverage your social media. Oh, I mean, I, 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 first of all, what qualifies as a donation? Does one penny, dollar, one dollar, one dollar? Yeah, yeah, I think I would chase a lot of one dollar donations. Okay, but how? Like, 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 literally. Uh, I gave you this challenge right now tonight. Obviously, you're tweeting. You're putting up videos on your YouTube channels and everything, but that only gets you so far, right? Let's say that gets you halfway there. How do you do the rest of it? I see where you're headed with this. Uh, the answer, of course, is that you pick up the phone and say, hello, Facebook, who likes money? Because I need to spend money in order to buy one pretend money. Right. It, is, it is customer acquisition. And, 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 and it is the same for any of these campaigns as it is for any startup, as it is for any business. How much money does it take for you in advertising to acquire one customer? This is all math, right? By the way, uh, this is uh, there are some fantastic videos on YouTube where they sort of break down like uh, uh, Facebook – had a reputation for shutting down uh, what they called fraudulent clicks. Like people were buying fraudulent clicks, fraudulent subscriptions, yeah. fraudulent follows or whatever. But then uh, uh, look around and guess what? Uh, uh, Facebook offers the exact same service that they're banning. Uh, to saying, boost. Hey yeah. man, uh, get your word out to a bunch of people who don't really care about whatever you're doing and they live in the Philippines and they'll definitely just click because they're being paid to click. But also, we're not looking at that because it's from Facebook. There were reports that 
people were paying, candidates were paying, campaigns were paying upwards of 7 to $12 to get a $1 donation. And I'm, all the money, the money all goes in Facebook's pocket. Like these rules have been a personal gift from the DNC to Facebook in terms of uh, just saying to all these fringe candidates, nope, spend not any money in Iowa, paying people and hiring them, canvassing, doing what you would normally do if you're running for president and you don't have the most amount of money. Nope, literally just go do these campaign stops and dump all your cash into Mark Zuckerberg's lap uh, and Google's lap. And that's that. Uh, Tim Wu wrote an amazing book called The Attention Merchants. Yeah. Highly recommended. Like, this is it. Like, we're purchasing attention. We're yeah. purchasing uh, – not only are, are we as a society purchasing attention, but uh, we're selling our attention. Only only the actual producer of, those, of that attention is getting nothing out of it outside yeah. of maybe the value of the stories that we like while, you know, tolerating the stories we don't like. Democracy. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I'm in a very complicated place on this right now. I don't, I don't know. Uh, all right. Well, that, that's really what I, I wanted your opinion because I know that you very much value kind of like the access of of the public square to the people and well, these and kind of things. And I, I knew that you would find it fascinating if we went through what these rules are because you're going to hear more about it because some of these candidates are not going to make this Houston stage and they are going to be pissed. And what they're going to say is, look, the DNC held us out. Are, are you sad that that we don't appear to have crossed the threshold to make it a two night thing? Yeah, that's not going to happen. I am bummed. I mean, mostly because it's like more content. I was for hoping. Me. I was hoping for a crazy shit show. Yeah. Well, yeah. Also, it's, well, number one, yes, there would have been everything around it where all these candidates that got pushed to Friday night would have been fu 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 furious, right? Right. And then on the other side, uh, I, I think I don't know, like very selfishly, it's like, oh yeah, I get two nights of big viewership on Twitch when I'm live streaming it, <laughs> right? Uh, uh, you know, although I do think we will go yeah. back, we we will go back up to two nights for the next one for for debate four because it's the same qualifying threshold. So everybody who's on the bubble now, like Tom Steyer and Tulsi Gabbard, are almost certainly going to make it. Can can we talk about? Uh, I, I hope I'm not calling you out or anything right now, but uh, uh, can we talk about the uh, surprising correlation between every time a candidate drops out, what happens to your Twitch subscriptions and your Patreon? <laughs> like, no, I love no, this. We can't talk. About I that. love this. <laughs> I love everything about this. By the way, I, 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 if oh you're my not, God. I should already, have never led Brian on the show. I, no, no, no. It's great because 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 what you're doing is 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 exactly right. Like like we it's have only going to get seen, more interesting as we get closer to the election. We have we have seen an increase on the Patreon, and I have specifically noticed that it correlates to when a candidate drops out. So, okay, my message to everybody is yeah. don't wait for your candidate to drop out. Just start giving them money now. Give this man money. Well, thank you, thank you. But yeah, let's say theoretically, if like Kirsten Gillibrand were to drop out, like we would probably see an increase. I mean, that sounds like a scientific experiment in the making. We'll see. Brian, uh, where can people find you? Uh, I, I do a show called Night Attack with uh, Justin Robert Young. It's pretty great. <laughs> Look at that. Uh, all right. Thank you so much. Politics. I got a great interview up in the feed that you can go ahead and check out. Brian Rosenwald. His new book is Talk Radio's America. We talked all about uh, conservative talk radio and a lot about Rush Limbaugh, including 
the the birth of the first all conservative talk stations, I was fascinated by where the first two started. So if you haven't heard this interview, go ahead and think in your mind. Where do you believe the first two conservative talk radio stations were started? And you're going to hear him talk about exactly where they did in his own words right now. In 1987, the FCC does away with a regulation known as the Fairness Doctrine, and it's very often misunderstood because there were two pieces of it. This one piece was if you have a candidate on, you've got to give his opponent equal time. The second piece was something that required overall balance in a station's programming if they're going to deal with controversial issues. And so this meant that when Limbaugh's on KFBK in Sacramento, they also had a liberal host. So that goes away, which enables the all-conservative station. And what happens is KVI in Seattle, um, one day one of Limbaugh's, the executives at the company syndicating Limbaugh, is meeting with the program director and the station general manager there. They're, they're smoking Russia's cigars um, and having a good time. And, and this guy from the, the company says to them, you know, why do you have these liberals on? Nobody wants to hear that. And they start investigating. They dig in. They, they talk to callers. They are listening to their airwaves. They're looking at ratings. And they say, you know what? Let, let's fire this guy. Let's try another conservative. Let's see what happens. And within like two years, they go from like 23rd in the market to first. Um, and that is a sort of a signal that, hey, there's something to this all conservative thing. And then the, the next chapter, ironically enough, is in San Francisco, another really liberal city. Yeah. There is a top-rated um, – Station. They, they would be number one in the market for 30 years, called, and, and the call letters are KGO. And it was much more like that KABC model. They've got a little of everything. They're a news station that has multiple perspectives, um, but there's a, a station that had been run down in the city that is for sale. And the, the general manager of KGO goes to his um, corporate bosses. At, at the time, ABC and Capital Cities own the station. And he says, you know, can we buy this other station? Because I'm worried that someone could buy it up and program a competitor against us. Yeah. So we want to protect our, our top-rated station. So his bosses buy this station, and that leaves one problem. They need to put something on it. And after trying a couple of things, he calls up his old program director, who's up in Seattle working at a, a different station, and he says, you know, that this thing that's going off there with KVI, w- would it work in San Francisco? And his old program director, who was a card-carrying liberal Democrat, says to him, yeah, it would, because the <laughs> one thing you can't be in San Francisco openly is a conservative. Yeah. If you're a conservative, you're marginalized, you're maligned, and they want what becomes sort of a digital uh, neighborhood bar for a conservative neighborhood. And these stations are successful because you only need 3 to 5% of the market in a big city market to be successful. Politics. Hey, it was a really good idea for me to record that first segment before there was an official announcement of who had qualified for the Houston debate. Wrong! Oh. Well, if that's the case, then it must be time for the... Steyer couldn't make it. Oh, wait, I forgot the format. Tom Steyer made the debate stage, and therefore the Houston debate will indeed be two nights. Wrong! 
Yeah, that's definitely not happening. Uh, the only people that will be on stage for one debate will be Julian Castro, Andrew Yang, Amy Klobuchar, Beto O'Rourke, Cory Bucker, Pete Ju- Buttigieg, Elizabeth Warren, Kamala Harris, and Bernie Sanders, as well as Big Joe Biden. That comes after two polls that were qualifying were released, but neither Gabbard nor Steyer could notch the one last poll that they need. It's going to be a very interesting month coming forward to see exactly how that factors into their campaigns, whether or not they want to drop out, whether or not they think it's worth it, let alone some of these guys that uh, just straight out didn't make it and really didn't have a shot, like uh, uh, Kirsten Gillibrand and Michael Bennett. It might be time to take a good, long, hard look at the mirror and think about what you're going to do. Hey, the Republicans are only going to have to defend one Senate seat in Georgia on 2020 Election Day. Wrong! Yeah, that is probably the biggest news uh, uh, here that is uh, that is coming out. That is uh, uh, that uh, Johnny Isaacson is resigning at the end of the year for health reasons. That means that uh, Brian Kemp will go ahead and fill that seat for now. And then there will be an election in 2020. So that is that, that's pretty big, considering like, you know, this this is a not unfavorable map for Democrats to try and flip the Senate. That's not a bad look for them because Georgia was very competitive in the in the statewide governor's race. And, you know, they got a pretty deep roster, including the lady that almost became governor. I mean, I will bet you that Stacey Abrams is going to run for that Senate seat. Wrong! No, she's not. She said she's not going to do it. I really wonder. I wonder what, what, what her plan is. What do you want, Stacey Abrams? Because, you know, I think she was wise to not run for president. Because you got some trained killers out there. And, and this was a, a nice little debut record that she put together in 2018. But again, it was a loss. She's not a star that won. She's a star that lost. So now the next thing is like, okay, well, well now we're really excited for your next event, right? Like whatever else you want to do. Like uh, the next campaign, you to write a book, you to go on television, whatever. But she said she wasn't going to run for the one Senate seat. And now she's not going to run for the other Senate seat, and she's not going to run for president. Well, uh, I don't know how many people are going to remember Stacey Abrams three years from now, or at least that she'll be able to capitalize on the heat she got from 2018. Maybe she's smart, and she's like, hey, look, this is, uh, you know, these are not races that I want. I don't want to go to, uh, I, I don't want to go to the Senate at all. That's just not something I'm interested in. Which even then would be interesting because you look at how many senators right now, including Kamala Harris, who literally just got there, that, you know, uh, are running for president now. So if you want to be president, the Senate, being a famous senator, seems like a pretty good way to do it. Hey, I know exactly Exactly what is happening with this parliamentary shutdown in England. Wrong! (laughs) I don't. But I do 
I do uh, uh, have a, a great little commentary here for you. I woke up today to get a, a, a commentary by one Tom Merritt, who I'm sure is listening to this right now. Uh, I'm literally just going to read his take. He, like I woke up today and I just got a blistering flamethrower of a European parliamentary take. So uh, uh, the, the man who uh, thankfully took over for the show during the spring, this is his take on the European, uh, or sorry, the, the, the UK parliamentary suspension by Boris Johnson. Suspending parliament is normal. It is not dissolving. It's only taking a recess. The timing is the only controversial thing. Johnson isn't suspending it for the whole way. He's leaving a couple weeks on each end as safety padding, so he's not entirely nuts. Even though he says that it's just normal business for a new prime minister, uh, which of this was a normal time, it would be, he's using it to pass, uh, put the screws to the EU who shows no sign of budging. This is Johnson putting his money where his mouth is. He said May didn't bargain hard enough, and now he's got his chance to bargain hard. Interesting to watch and see if a no-confidence vote happens in the next two weeks. That would be the real drama. The Brexit party could land seats. Hell, the loony party could land seats if there's a new election. My instinct says to watch the DUP close. They're paying lip service to Johnson because they want a hard bargain and hate the backstop. But the Tories need the DUP for their majority, and the DUP wouldn't really, uh, won't really want a hard border in Northern Ireland, which is what you get with a no deal. So they're already making noises about reviewing the terms of her party's confidence and supply agreement with the conservatives. That was literally the first thing I woke up to. <laughs> God bless the treasure that is Tom Merritt. All right. It's about that time. Are you guys ready? Are you guys ready? Because we got a very, very interesting series of polls here. Uh... But if we are going five wide, which indeed we are, well, friends, we got to uh, kick some people out. So with that, I'm going to please let everybody know that Andrew Yang, Cory Booker, Beto O'Rourke, Tulsi Gabbard, Julian Castro, Amy Klobuchar, Bullock, Williamson, I'm so sorry, but you can't hate from outside of the club. You can't even get in. Apologies to Chris Brown. I don't have that sounder. Let's go ahead and get in. Ladies and gentlemen, get ready. Because this is an economist and you, Gov. National Democratic Primary Poll Dance 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 Stepping up first to the stage with 5% of respondents he is the mayor of South Bend, Indiana. Mayor Pete Buttigieg! With 8% of respondents. She is your senator from California, Kamala Harris! 
Stepping up third to the stage with 14% of respondents, your senator from Vermont, Bernie Sanders! But your headliners, with 21% of the vote, the senator from Massachusetts, E. Liz Earth. Warren! And your final headliner with 25% of the vote, former Vice President of the United States, former Senator of Delaware, current guy slurring his words on your television, Big Joe Biden! That is... Judge 5, Harris 8, Sanders 14, Warren 21, Biden 25. That's a very good poll for Elizabeth Warren. She only once has kind of gotten up there, and, and that actually does back up that Monmouth poll that we were talking about a little earlier. That had her at 20. This has her at 21. So now the Monmouth Bowl looks like less of an outlier on Warren, although looks like more of an outlier on Bernie. All right. Let's go ahead and get into but your emails. You can always email the show, theyoungamerican at gmail.com. Again, theyoungamerican at gmail.com. Derek writes, today I noticed that a local city council hopeful's logo has an upside down flag in the silhouette of a Statue of Liberty. This is on signs all over the city. My first thought was that I wanted to see if the outraged social media comments and share them with you. The one man who really appreciates poor choices candidates are making without trying to dunk on them for his own team. However, I'm sad to report that there weren't any outraged comments. So far as I know, this hasn't caused any local controversy, but that may be because no one's paying attention to a race at this level. That or maybe I'm reading too much into the logo and there's nothing to get worked up about. So what he is sending me is a, a picture of Layla for Portland. Layla for Portland. I, I have some justification problems on the font where the L is a Statue of Liberty and indeed the stars are below the stripes. I wonder if that is done because you want to keep the blue because it's a blue background. It's like a, a dark blue background. You want to keep the blue lower so it's closer to the white and not drifting off into just the, the the space of the other blue. It's a bad sign. And I would encourage everybody to go to facebook.com slash Layla for Portland if you want to see the uh <laughs> if you want to see all the all the fun stuff going on. I I think that there's no reason. There, there there's no reason to get get upset on this one. So so a lack of outrage I think is probably refreshing. AC writes, recently checked out Zero Hedge as recommended by Peter Schiff, who's sort of a, uh, sort of a loudmouth, but I've seen listening to his podcast because I agree with his basic macroeconomic thesis, and uh, it's a Russian state-run propaganda site. My gut squirmed when I saw him link uh, a link to him appearing on RT. Does this kind of guest get an appearance fee for that, or just free media exposure? 
the way that I've heard it, you are not getting paid unless you are a paid contributor. So if you are like the people that appear all the time as guests, if you are a contributor for Fox News, for example, then you're catching a check for that. If you're just somebody who comes on as a guest, you're not getting a check, at least not normally. Now, there are some ways that you can kind of get around it. Important guests, you can pay for their travel or you can, you know, hook something else up that kind of makes them money. But in general, that's that's the rule the way I understand it. And Andrew writes, uh, responding to our millennial interview. Wait, I'm a millennial now? I'm old enough to remember living during the Cold War, watching the Challenger disaster and Live Aid Live and drinking new Coke, but I'm supposed to just be in the same generation as somebody who's starting kindergarten on 9-11? Perhaps it's just me, but I feel like the max length of a generation should be about 12 years. It should be extremely unlikely for a child and their parent to be in the same generation. Not something that now apparently applies to 10% of my high school classmates. I agree. I've always felt that that was weird. You know, if somebody gets pregnant, like, right at 16 or 17, that they're both millennials, like, that didn't seem to work with the greatest generation versus the baby boomers, right? Or, like, baby boomers and Gen X. I just think that 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 millennial cohort, like, people were just, here's what I think happened. People were really horny for the idea of the turn of the century. They got really locked in on those numbers. And so very obviously there was a difference between Gen X and the people that came after Gen X. But they just had to stretch it until you got to like, oh, the the generation that's ending in the year 2000. I just think it's, it's stupid. It just is. It's just dumb. I want to thank Andy, Paul, Mike, and Brad for being producers on this very show. If you would like to join their ranks, head on over to TakePoliticsSeriously.com and support us any way you can. You can always email me, theyoungamerican at gmail.com. Music has been provided by Valesco and Trap Killers, and you can follow me at Justin Art Young everywhere. Download archived episodes of this show at BonerWars.com. Until next time, I want to remind all of you... That politics has three names. And some shows talk about politics. Others talk about politics. And I heard one the other day that even dared to talk about politics. But this, this, friends, is the only show where we talk about all three. Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs>